0: Our second reading is from the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from the eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, And at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory unto it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no light there. They will bring into the glory, into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor any one who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord.
1: A couple of weeks ago, we started a four-week series on place, saying that place matters. And we began in the book of Genesis, looking at the Garden of Eden. And, of course, that's where the story of the Bible begins, right? The story of the Bible begins in a garden, the Garden of Eden. But where does it end? It begins in a garden, but it ends in the end of Revelation in a city. It begins in a garden, but ends in a city. Here's what we have In one of the verses that Will just read to us, in verse 2 of Revelation 21, which is the very end of the Bible, John is caught up in a vision and he writes down his vision of the new creation. And he writes, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the rest of Revelation 21 and into 22 is giving this picture, this vision of this massive city, New Jerusalem, come down to earth, built around Eden, centered on God. And as we finish off talking about place and how place matters, I want us to think about this. What does the vision of heaven as a city Tell us about how we should live in the places God has us today. So, four answers to that one for this morning. First is, if heaven is a city that's actually going to come to earth in the end, place places that we live must matter. So, going back a few weeks when we were talking about the Garden of Eden and its original intention, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden And he gives them this mandate. He says, I want you to multiply and spread and subdue and fill the earth. The intention was not that they would just stay in the garden, but rather that they, as they filled the earth with population, would begin to spread the garden. Garden is an ordered wilderness. It's when you take the thorns and push them back and you put down paths and you put up fruit and vegetables and give order to it so it is fruitful and you can live there. And the intention was for them to build the garden till it covered the whole earth. And if you think about it, that's sort of a vision of what God has intended for us from the beginning is to take wilderness and turn it into garden and from garden to build it up into places that we can live and thrive And this is different. This is a different vision if you get to the end and see a city than some of the vision that many of us have of eternity. See, the idea with God's creation is that he is coming to renew and restore it. It's, It's not in the end that we would escape this creation so God can come and eliminate it. And that gives a very different picture of eternity than some of us have had in our heads. Eugene Peterson, who is a pastor, has a great insight into the way some of us think and the picture that we should have. When he writes in this devotional on Revelation, he says, many people want to go to heaven the way they want to go to Florida. They think the weather will be an improvement and the people decent. But the biblical heaven is not a nice environment far removed from the stress of hard city life. It is rather the invasion of our cities by the city, the city of God. He goes on to say, we enter heaven not by escaping what we don't like, but by sanctification of the place in which God has placed us. In other words, this is not a long, eternal weekend away from the responsibilities of employment and citizenship, but an intensification and healing of them. putting it in another way. There is a reason why we and all humans throughout history have paved roads and built buildings and put communities together. There's a reason why we and all humans find ways to work and learn and play together. There's a reason why civilization has always been taking wilderness and making it into farmlands and gardens and places we can live, into towns and into villages and into cities. Why? Because it's what God has been doing from the beginning. It's where it's all going in the end, and it's actually what we are made to do. When we build and create and bring order in the places we have been called, we're participating in God's act of creation, and we're actually looking forward to and anticipating the end. Craig Bartholomew, a theologian and New Testament scholar, put it this way, the trajectory in scripture from Garden of Eden to a city reflects the role of the city as a symbol of God's intent and humankind's desire to develop the creation and to build places of culture and community. If I were to kind of jump out of this sort of theological talk, I would say this, the end is not escape It's new bodies. It's a renewed creation. Meaning this physical life, the one that we live, and the world that we walk around in, the buildings we inhabit, these things matter. Because in the end, when God comes to restore all things eternally, matter will be here. So matter matters. Which means we need to take the places that we live seriously because there will be place in heaven. And that means we also need to discern our individual and our collective calling for the places God has us today. The new creation, the city of God, tells us place matters to God, and it should to us as well. Secondly, if heaven is a city coming to this earth, What we do in this place matters to God. And it may even, there's a hint in this passage, what we do may even last. So here's a question, a very simple one, but it's sort of more complex when you actually answer it. What is a city? My stupid answer is going to be a place with people. Okay, a city is a place with people. But if we were going to identify cities more, just kind of observing them, we would say it's a place with buildings and roads and public works and schools and local government and law enforcement. And what you find is a city is when people come together and develop a culture, a culture of safety and prosperity and security and, and all these things together. That's what a city is. A city has living places and working places, eating places and shopping places and cultural places and meeting places all in the same place. Well, in a sense, that's the picture of what we get of heaven. Heaven as the city, the the city, the new Jerusalem, is the picture of a city. Now, it's a unique city. And here's what we get. I'm just going to read some of the verses, uh, Revelation 21, verses 10 through 14, some of the parts here. Part of the vision that John gets is the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, it sounds much prettier than D.C. or New York, so there's something different about it, and yet, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. He goes on to talk about measuring the city how many miles wide and high it was. It talks about streets being in the city. In other words, there's a picture of the city of God in eternity that's not much different from the way we picture cities today. A lot of the same stuff is there. There are streets and buildings and walls and gates. You know what this tells us? God is an urban planner. He's got a little bit of engineer in him putting things together the way they fit best. But he's more than that, of course, because there's majesty and beauty to this city of God. It talks about things being covered in jewels. You know what a jewel is? It's when you take a rock and chisel it down and bring out all the color and shine and beauty of it. It takes an artist or a craftsman to do it. It says the streets are paved with gold, thin and clear. Well, you can actually do that with gold if you hammer it down thin enough. There's a Japanese artistic technique that takes metals and ores like gold and lays them so thin it becomes a thing of beauty. God is an artist and a craftsman. The New Jerusalem is a city whose architect and builder is God. And in some way, this means there's inherent meaning. There's inherent meaning to our daily work of creating, ordering, building, caring. Because it's what God is doing eternally. And it's what we do right now. But there's also a suggestion in this passage that what we do, even now, may last. We read in Revelation 21, verses 24 and 26, talking about the new Jerusalem, the city to come. We read about kings from nations bringing their glory. We read... The nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, into the city. They will bring into the city the glory and the honor of the nations. Now, all the scholars writing on these verses say this is a reflection uh, pointing back to Isaiah 60. In Isaiah 60, which is written a thousand years before this almost, the, the prophet Isaiah has a vision of eternity. And in the vision of eternity, it's of a new Jerusalem, a new city, an eternal city with God dwelling in it. And in that city, the nations of the world come and bring their goods. The ships of Tarshish, if I said that right, the cypress wood from Lebanon, all the goods from all the nations are brought into the city as a way to beautify the city, to strengthen it. They're laid down before the Lord. And those things that maybe were used for personal gain or exploited for other reasons are now redeemed and are a part of building up the city of God in Isaiah 60. That's the same thing that's being pointed out here. That in some way in eternity, the cultural goods of all the nations are brought in and elevated because they are brought to God to be used for his purposes in the city. Richard Mao, a theologian writing on Isaiah 60, said this, the final vision of the city is one filled not just with God's glory and presence, not just with his own stunningly beautiful architectural designs, not just with redeemed persons from every cultural background, but with redeemed human culture too. So there's a sense, if there's an actual city that God has built for eternity, that what we do today, what we build and make and learn and organize and create, what we do now is a good thing And that our work as students or as homemakers or volunteers or in law or finance or government or sales or anything that we do has inherent purpose and value and it may even be a cultural good that lasts. It may even be the sort of thing that in the end is held up and said, look, look at this beautiful contract. This is the way to put things together. This is the way to edit This is the way to do finance. This is a song worth singing again. First, if the city of God is the picture of heaven, place matters, and secondly, what we do matters. And third, in the picture that we get here, there's a picture of the city that it is a place with no more tears. And this means that in our places, the pain of the people around us in the places we live in matter as well in revelation 21 verse 4 we read the description of eternity and we get this picture he the lord will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away This tells us that God is in the business of wiping away tears and that if we're going to take our places seriously and God's call to us in them, we need to be asking, where are the tears in the places that I am living, in my school, on my street, in my town? Where are the tears in a town like Vienna? I'm always asking that question. And, you know, if I were to even just reflect briefly as I was thinking about that this week, I I see three areas that are not as obvious when we walk around in a room like this where there are tears. Even in a place like Vienna, there is hunger, there is homelessness, and there is hopelessness. You know, food insecurity is a very real thing even in a community like this. If you go to the local uh, food bank that CHO runs, you'll find that they are being flooded with people coming to to fill their shelves because they don't have enough on their own. And as social workers in a lot of the schools in our area have noticed, there are dozens upon dozens of kids who do not have food on the weekends. And so they started programs sending kids homes with bags of food. Our church has been trying to commit to both CHO's food bank and to a couple of local elementary schools to make sure that kids don't spend a weekend hungry. But goodness, that's a place where there is tears. If there are kids around here that don't have food. Homelessness is another one. You might not see it as often as you think walking around Vienna. You can go into D.C., see it on every street. Great. There are people that are homeless. There's an article in the Post this week talking about how D.C. is having to lease an entire motel this winter to cover for families that they know will be flooding into the shelters this winter. And if you go just three and a half miles down the street to uh, Fairfax Circle, there's a drop-in day shelter called the Lamb Center that we partner with. And there people go because they don't have a place to wash their clothes. They get a hot meal. They get a haircut, can make a phone call. Just three miles down the street, there are dozens every day who are walking into there being cared for. That's explicit homelessness. But there's also home insecurity. You know, if you look around Vienna, it's a place with great homes. But slowly, slowly the working poor are being edged out. And to me, that's a sad thing. That's an indication that down the line, yes, we're going to have lots of beautiful buildings around here, but we're going to be lacking the diversity and having a place where people who are working hard but can't make ends meet can no longer live here. So we get the schools and the playgrounds, but not them. I don't think that's what the new city of God is going to look like. And there's hopelessness. You see this actually most, not just, you can knock on most doors, but walk in any high school. And if you could dig deep enough into anyone's brain in these high schools, you would find hopelessness. And we've been identifying as a church some of the need in the Latino male community here in the high schools in this area. Finding that there's an increased level of dropouts as male Latinos get to age 16, 17. They just drop out at a higher and higher rate. One officer who works with the school has identified that there's a great pull towards gangs, trying to find some sense of hope and identity and connection. They don't know another way. There's not a way forward for some of these guys. And, of course, there was an article this week, again, pointing to the high suicide rate in Fairfax County. Just this fall, three girls have committed suicide in local schools. The article in the Post identified a young lady at South Lakes, at Fairfax High School. I'm sorry, who, who was a straight A student, ran cross country, had a group of friends, and on September 28th she hung herself. And it's not atypical. Woodson High School has had six suicides in three or four years. Langley, two last year, within 48 hours. Why is that? Why is there such stress and hopelessness among 16-year-olds? And we have to ask a question like, where is God in all of this? And I will say this. We, we are the body of Christ. That's what Jesus tells us. It's what Paul tells us. We are the body of Christ. You and I are Christ in this world today. You and I are the hands and the feet and the voice of God. Where is God in this world? The question is, where are we? Where are we entering these people's lives? The kids who are hungry? The people who don't have a place to live? The hopeless teenagers? You know, you can get involved in CHO. You can you can go serve at the Lamb Center. We're doing things even like the Christmas store with CHO on December 13th or um, Christmas gifts to local elementary school kids who are on this needs list. These are ways to bless and care and be the hands of God to kids nearby. You can, you can join up as a volunteer with Young Life. Talk to Kylie Galen, who's sitting over here. Talk to Rod Nunez to work in our schools through our church. You could be a coach. You could be a mentor. People need the hands and feet and voice of God. Teenagers need them. The homeless need them. The new immigrant community needs them. And your neighbor needs you. And so that's really the question is, Where this day, even if we just don't think on these big macro issues, where this day? Just today, each day, wake up and say, Where are the tears? Next door, in my office, in my hallway. And how can I wipe those tears away? I ask this question as I walk through the town and I'm praying. I think, what does the city of God look like? And that's why we're looking at Revelation 21 and 22. What does the picture of heaven look like? And how is it different from the places we live? How is that picture of heaven different from, say, Vienna? As I walk around, I'm always praying, Lord, what more could this town be? And when I say, what more could this town be, I don't mean moving from number three on the Money Magazine list of best places to live to number one, What I mean is, what would make this town look more like the eternal city of God? What if 20 years from now, a place like Vienna was known nationally as a town which wipes away tears? And maybe there was something in that that was unique to us. We were a place of recovery for the addicted or a place of housing for the poor or a place of care for the aging, or a place of restoration for ex-inmates, or a place of family for the, for the unmarried and the childless and the widow. One day, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the reality is this, until Christ returns, until the new Jerusalem comes, there will be brokenness and pain. And so what do we do? We carry on the work of wiping away tears in the places God has us. And what you find is through us, heaven breaks in. The hand of God reaches into the lives of people around us. People matter to God, and the pain of people matters to God in the city of God, and it should in our places too. Fourthly, the New Jerusalem is filled with the presence of God. And our places need God as well. You know, what you find as you look through the Bible, there's a contrast that is sometimes made between the city of man and the city of God. It's a biblical metaphor at times for the two realms or two ways of living. Living in the way of man and living in the way of God. And in the book of Revelation, we get this contrast as well. And what we find is you get the ends of both the city of man and the city of God. In Revelation 17, 18, and 19, the, the Reve- John gives this picture of Babylon representing Rome or the true cities of man and how they end up in destruction. And on the other side is the city of God populated by the martyrs, those who sacrificed all for the, for the Lord God and they end up in eternal life. And the city of man and city of God are contrasted. And if we were to take the metaphor down a little bit lower, the city of man is this idea throughout the Bible of living apart from God. And it's typified by the story of Babel in Genesis 11. Towards the beginning of the Bible, the story is that of a godless culture who came together in a city called Babel. And they tried to build up the city in order to, what it says, in order to make a name for themselves, a lasting legacy for them. In many ways, that's why people come to cities still today. To make a name for themselves. Or to find themselves, but it's really the same thing. I mean, why do people come to a city like D.C.? To make a name for themselves. For personal gain. In other words, even if it's not a city we're living in, we can be living out the city of man just by how we live. What's at the center of the city of man? Me. It's when I live with me at the center. In contrast, what's at the center of the city of God? God. We see this very explicitly three different times in our passage in the description of the New Jerusalem. Three different times we read about God's presence at the center of the city of God. In verse 3, we read, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This idea is that of a tent. The, the word dwell is actually tent. And so you could almost read it as the tent of God will be with man and they will tent with God. And I don't know if you've ever been in a tent, but it's close. It's proximity. You're there. Now it's a big tent, but the idea is you're dwelling in the presence of God. That's what the city of God has is you dwelling with God, God dwelling with you. On top of that, we read in verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty, the Almighty and the Lamb. Every city in the ancient world had a temple, a place to focus their religious adoration and worship. But in the city of God to come, there is no sacred and secular divide because God is everywhere, and we are worshiping him constantly. And then we get a picture of a throne. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. At the center of the city of God is God himself. Now that's a picture of what's to come. But what about now? You know, what's interesting is Jesus talks about cities as well. He says, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. Who's he talking to? The disciples. That would mean us. The point being this. Yes, there is a day that will come when God will come and enter creation and establish his eternal city. But until that day, you and I individually and collectively are the city of God in this world. And in a sense, we are called when we live with God at the center of our lives, we are building an alternate city reflecting and pointing to the the city that is to come. What does that look like? Well, it looks like not living for me or serving my idols or the idols of my community. So if you were talking about a place like Vienna, some of the idols of Vienna are career and kids. That's fine if you have career and kids, but if you're living in the city of God, you're not making them the center of your life. And because God is at the center, we're not striving and anxious, fearful of failure, needing success. And in fact, we're finally able to give and love and work for common good because we're living for God and not for ourselves, not for some, some other center. Ultimately, though, we, in every place we live, needs to settle the throne issue. And so whether we're talking about our city or our church or our homes or my heart, I need to ask what's at the center and who is on the throne? You know, there's a natural bent for all of us is to be on the throne of our lives. It's the root of our sin. And it's the natural bent of every city, every nation, every culture. It's to fight for the throne. And it's the root of all the brokenness and pain we see in this world. The Bible makes it clear here that if we want to partake of that eternal kingdom, we need to settle the throne issue. Settling the throne issue with God is actually very different than it is in the world. You know, if you want to have uh, FaceTime with somebody who sits on a throne in a country today, you need to have done something. You need to be somebody. You don't just walk up to the president of a country and say, hey, here I am, let's have lunch. You need to have done something, be somebody, have a connection. And when we think about approaching a throne of God, we probably think about things like, am I good enough? Am I religious enough? Am I faithful enough? We didn't read it here, but you know the, the distinction is this. The way to enter the city of God, the way to approach the throne of God, is not to be somebody, nor to be really, really good. It's actually to be thirsty. It's to be thirsty. The Lord says, to the thirsty I will give the water of life. The water that flows from the throne. Do you recognize your need of healing? Do you understand you want forgiveness? Do you want to give up being on the throne of your life? The throne of Christ, the throne of grace, is a throne of healing and forgiveness. And it's also a throne of worship where we lay down our crowns and our accomplishments and our goods and let him be Lord and the center of our lives. You know, we are not going to bring heaven. But how we live individually and collectively points to and anticipates the city of God. That there is another place, another God for whom we are meant to live in the places God has us today. Let's pray. God, sometimes as we read in the Bible about heaven, it seems so far away and bizarre. And yet in the picture of this eternal city, in the picture of tears being wiped away, we get the picture of a glorious city and one where we can experience the grace and mercy of God who made us. Give us a vision this day for living in the places you have called us and put us. Until that day when your kingdom comes and you establish your reign. In your name we pray, amen.
2: working